Chapter One of George Washington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. George Washington by Ferdinand Schmidt. Translated by George P. Upton. Boyhood. The contemplation of the wonders of the universe is always inspiring and uplifting. The crystalline purity of the sky the splendor of the sunrise and sunset the grandeur of the starry night the fragrant forest the smiling landscape the tree the flower the boundless ocean and all the countless manifestations of nature but how much greater are admiration and inspiration when we reverently contemplate the progress of a noble human soul toward ever higher and higher planes of perfection some of the good seed which it scatters may take root in our minds to strengthen and develop the best that is in us we perceive the possibilities of the race and what we may ourselves become if the will to strive keeps pace with a love for what is good in ancient times thoughtful people compared great and good souls to the stars they rise in the spiritual firmament with a pure radiance and ever anew breaking through the mists and clouds which obscure them remain visible to later generations thus they become guiding stars for struggling human beings here below the particular star which the reader has the wisdom and the inclination to perfect himself is invited to study in these pages arose in the forests of virginia on the twenty second of february seventeen thirty two it was there that little george first opened his eyes and looked out upon a world in which he was to play so great a part there his negro mammy sat with him on the bench before the door throwing crumbs to the turkeys and pigeons to amuse him and there under the rustling trees he whittled his first horse out of hazelwood george's father augustine washington was a planter of english extraction his first ancestor had immigrated from england when north america was still the undisputed property of the indians the territory which later became the united states is almost as large as the continent of europe two hundred years ago the whole country was a trackless forest broken only by enormous morasses cane brakes and savannas or grassy prairies in the properous plantation house on the east bank of the rappahannock in which george was born piety industry and probity had made their habitation that was the first blessing with which heaven dowered the boy of course living in a pure and healthy moral atmosphere is not in itself all that is required to guide a youth into paths of rectitude the will to do right and the continual struggle to attain it can alone accomplish the greater part reprobates have sometimes come out of the best environments the voice of conscience is awakened very early in the human breast and we soon know right from wrong however it is a great boon and a wonderful help to be surrounded by people who are examples of virtue and word and deed and he who strays into the paths of sin in spite of such surroundings is doubly to be censored at that time the english immigrants lived scattered in the forest but neighbors had already formed themselves into parishes and founded schools and churches the schools were of course of a very simple type nothing but reading writing and arithmetic being taught 
most of the settlers found this quite sufficient for their children and rich planters sent their sons to england to be educated lawrence washington george's eldest stepbrother enjoyed these advantages he was fourteen years older than george who was a babe in arms when lawrence set out on his first voyage to england so that he could not remember his stepbrother when george was eight years old lawrence now in his twenty-second year returned the arrival of the well-educated and well-bred young gentleman was a welcome event in the family circle and george loved him from the very first moment their affection was mutual and indeed lawrence showed a truly paternal interest in the bright alert boy their father had no intention of sending another son abroad he looked upon lawrence as the natural head of the family after his death and was satisfied that his probable successor had received a liberal education accordingly george was sent to the parish school he applied himself eagerly to his tasks and thus laid a firm foundation at least for the studies which he afterward prosecuted by himself one trait of his character showed itself very early he did all his work with the greatest conscientiousness and neatness not a stroke of his pen betrayed carelessness some of his school books which have been preserved bear witness to this he showed the same care when any work about the house was required of him he endeavored to do whatever he had to do however insignificant it was or might seem to be as perfectly as possible of course he was not capable of appreciating at that time how important this was in the development of his character it was simply his early awakened sense of duty reinforced by his earnest efforts to practice what he knew to be right it was not until later that he realized the deeper significance of work as a means of strengthening the powers of the soul there is no kind of work which may not be either well or ill done if you put all your capabilities into it and the result is more or less satisfactory you have accomplished even more than the success of a moment you have been working for the growth of your inner self for one who realizes this the greatest drudgery has lost its sting george was just as conscientious in everything which pertained to morals he had a passionate disposition but we learn that early in life he strove to curb his hasty temper by exercising deliberation and will-power it was therefore customary among his schoolfellows when disagreements arose to take them to him and his verdict was generally accepted for they knew that he was willing to acknowledge himself in the wrong when his fiery temper had carried him away it was justice and not the person that had weight with him another of his qualities military talent was early recognizable it was an inheritance there had been warriors among his ancestors men of note of whom english chronicles tell us several of these had so distinguished themselves as to have been knighted george's brother lawrence was of a like temper and it now happened that he had an opportunity of becoming a soldier british commerce in the west indies had suffered heavy losses through piratical attacks by spain and the english government determined to avenge itself a fleet was fitted out and as england was the mother country of the virginias the recruiting drum was heard in the colony also lawrence volunteered and was given a captain's commission it was no wonder that there was considerable excitement over all this in the home of the washingtons 
george took the liveliest interest in his brother's equipment he thought it very proper that the robbers of whom he had heard many dreadful stories should be punished and gazed at his brother's bright sword with delight and respect he vowed that he too would sometime help to right the wrongs of his injured countrymen in time of need he was told many tales of his valiant ancestors it is no wonder that the picture of his brother as he had left home in his war trappings was constantly in his mind nor that he begged for his letters after his father had read them to the assembled family to pore over them especially when they had something to tell of the soldiers adventures all these exciting experiences which filled his mind soon manifested themselves in his play in place of ball and games of a like nature war became the great game his comrades were divided into companies he sketched plans of battles which were carried out he determined the arms they were to use and held reviews it never occurred to any of his little comrades to dispute him the rank which he bestowed upon himself these occupations were also although neither he nor anyone else suspected it more or less of a preparation for his after-life just as he had before this been the legislator for his little circle he was now the military chieftain but even when playing at soldier the peculiarity of his character which led him to carry out everything he undertook with the greatest thoroughness was apparent he knew what accomplishments a soldier must strive to acquire and now we see him practising these exercises with unflagging zeal with the object of making his body strong and supple such as running leaping wrestling tossing bars and the like the leader of the little band strove to be in reality the first and foremost and wished to live up to his title after taking part in the siege of cartagena in the west indies lawrence returned home one can imagine with what interest george listened to his brother's recitals what lawrence learned of george's military exercises and play confirmed in him a plan which he had long ago formed and which had george's hearty approval he proposed to his parents that as soon as george should have reached his fourteenth year the boy should be allowed to enter the english service as a naval cadet and the carrying out of the plan was actually considered lawrence himself intended to return to his regiment to seek advancement in the army but never did so instead he fell in love with the daughter of a rich planter william fairfax his advances were accepted and an engagement took place his father was very much pleased to have his son enter into an alliance with the rich and highly esteemed house of fairfax but was not fortunate enough to live to see the wedding george was eleven years old when he stood at the grave of his excellent father the deceased left considerable property so that his children from both marriages were well provided for lawrence received an estate on the banks of the potomac where he took his young bride a few months later according to the terms of the will no guardian was appointed for the younger children but they were left in charge of their mother a proof of the confidence that decease had reposed in her she was worthy of it irving says of her she was endowed with plain direct good sense thorough conscientiousness and prompt decision she governed her family strictly but kindly exacting deference while she inspired affection she was washington's second wife and george her first-born was her favorite 
in spite of this or rather because of it she was very strict with him where she deemed it necessary to protect him from excesses and her faithful care was rewarded at that time sir matthew hale's contemplations moral and divine was held in great esteem among the educated english colonists of virginia it was the mother's favorite book from which she not only drew strength and consolation for herself but from which she also read aloud to her children her friends often found her thus occupied she not only showed great insight in the selections which she made but the deep spiritual feeling with which she read aloud from this and sometimes from other writings made a deep impression on her young hearers her enthusiasm was communicated to her children and as the whole life and doings of the household were pervaded by a spirit of moral earnestness these impressions received by the young minds were not easily effaced but rather were confirmed the copy of the above-mentioned work in which the name of mary w is written by his mother's own hand remained a valuable memento in george's possession all his life and he often declared that the precepts which it contained expounded by the soulful voice of the mother striving for the improvement of her children had had a decisive influence on his whole life the book is still preserved in the archives of mount vernon george continued his school and home studies with unabated industry it was not necessary to urge him on but rather to warn him not to go too far in his zeal he was filled with an ardent desire to acquire fresh insight knowledge and skill in something each day of his life it was a true thirst for knowledge somewhat farther away than his first teacher hobby lived another named williams who widened the horizon of his schooling a little and to whom he now went to learn something of commercial bookkeeping although it was a dry subject george made astonishingly rapid progress inspired by the determination to acquire it as quickly as possible in the realms of knowledge and skill he played the role of conqueror mind will and memory were his weapons which became sharper and more highly polished the more he used them careless and lazy school comrades appeared contemptible creatures to him at this time he collected examples of all kinds of documents used in business and daily affairs one of his collection bears the title written extracts and we find among them prescriptions checks receipts affidavits forms of resignation titles to property leases contracts and wills all these were copied with great care the important words written in larger letters so that they were easily to be distinguished george had also made great progress in athletic attainments he had been diligently practising the exercises of which we have spoken ever since it had been decided to let him enter the english service as a naval cadet he considered it a matter of course that a future soldier must employ himself systematically in strengthening his muscles and acquiring the greatest possible dexterity the place is still shown in the neighbourhood of his father's property where george threw a stone across the rappahannock he was also a fine horseman on one occasion he mounted an unmanageable horse to the astonishment of all onlookers and was able to control it in the meanwhile lawrence had taken the necessary steps for his brother's entrance into the english navy a midshipman's warrant was obtained and his luggage was packed 
but at the last moment his mother after carefully reconsidering the matter resolved not to let her son go out into the world so early it was not a mother's weakness that led her to this determination she had heard so much about the roughness of a seaman's life it is scarcely to be wondered at she recoiled from a plan which meant removing her son completely from his mother's influence and cut him off from the help and advice of his relatives his love and the respect which he had for her opinions helped to soften the disappointment later he was able to thank her for having at that time especially taken his destiny under such careful and earnest consideration before we follow his life history any further let us notice a practice of his in early life he kept a diary in which he noted everything that aroused his interest besides this he recorded significant ideas or thoughts which he found in books or heard from the lips of wise or experienced persons it would be a very good thing for our young readers to follow his example in this a portion of his diary bears the superscription rules for behavior in company and conversation among them are some important truths and some of lesser significance a number of extracts are given as they characterize george's aspirations so well and also in the hope that some readers may make a selection from among them and this is only a suggestion with it begin a diary of their own here are a few examples every action in company ought to be with some sign of respect to those present in the presence of others sing not to yourself with a humming noise nor drum with your fingers or feet speak not when others speak sit not when others stand and walk not when others stop turn not your back to others especially in speaking jog not the desk or table on which another reads or writes lean not on any one they that are in dignity or office have in all places precedence but whilst they are young they ought to respect those who are their equals in birth and other qualities though they have no public charge it is good manners to prefer those to whom we speak before ourselves especially if they be above us with whom in no sort we ought to begin let your discourse with men of business be short and comprehensive in visiting the sick do not presently play the physician if you be not knowing therein undertake not to teach your equal in the art he himself professes it savors of arrogancy being to advise or reprehend oneself consider whether it ought to be in public or in private presently or at some other time also in what terms to do it and in reproving show no signs of choler but do it with sweetness and mildness mock not nor jest at anything of importance break no jests that are sharp or biting and if you deliver anything witty or pleasant abstain from laughing thereat yourself wherein you reprove another be unblameable yourself for example is more prevalent than precept use no reproachful language against any one neither curses nor revilings be not hasty to believe flying reports to the disparagement of any one in your apparel be modest and endeavor to accommodate nature rather than procure admiration keep to the fashion of your equals such as are civil and orderly 
with respect to time and place associate yourself with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation for it is better to be alone than in bad company let your conversation be without malice or envy for it is a sign of tractable and commendable nature and in all causes of passion admit reason to govern be not forward but friendly and courteous the first to salute hear and answer and be not pensive when it is a time to converse if two contend together take not the part of either unconstrained and be not obstinate in your opinion in things indifferent be of the major side reprehend not the imperfections of others for that belongs to parents masters and superiors think before you speak pronounce not imperfectly nor bring out your words too hastily but orderly and distinctly when another speaks be attentive yourself and disturb not the audience if any hesitate in his words help him not nor prompt him without being desired interrupt him not nor answer him till his speech be ended be not apt to relate news if you know not the truth thereof when you deliver a matter do it without passion and indiscretion however mean the person may be you do it to when your superiors talk to anybody hear them neither speak nor laugh be not tedious in discourse make not digressions nor repeat often the same matter of discourse be not angry at table whatever happens and if you have reason to be so show it not put on a cheerful countenance especially if there be strangers for good humour makes one dish a feast when you speak of god or his attributes let it be seriously in reverence and honour and obey your natural parents let your recreation be manful not sinful labour to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience end of chapter one